Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. We protect them so much from any kind of failure or any kind of discomfort that they don't have the opportunity to experience things that are difficult and know that, you know, they can fail, they can make a mistake, and they will be okay. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 195. Today, we're talking about mindful family living with Kristen Race. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. A Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you're here. I am so excited for you to be part of this conversation today. I know you're going to get so much out of it, and I'm just happy to talk to you and be here with you. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Kristen Race, and she is founder of Mindful Life and author of Mindful Parenting. Her programs are rooted in neuroscience and help adults and children build resilience to modern-day stress. So this episode is all about how to build up resiliency uh, to stress from both 
both the inside out and the outside in. Krista and I talk about how we can make small shifts to make profound changes. And some of the things I really want you to listen for are that, you know, setting up an ideal life from the outside doesn't work. That actually our resilience really has to come with from within. And that our stress as parents is contagious and it can really lead to stressed out kids. So it's important that you work on this. And that we can mentally create more space in our days. So this is a really hopeful episode. It's going to be very valuable to you, I know. So before we dive in, I just want to invite you to please leave your voice. I would love to hear your voice. Leave your feedback and your takeaways and your ahas from listening to the Mindful Mama podcast at mindfulmamapodcast.com. I would love to have your voice in the 200th episode. It's coming up. So please, please, please help me create, help me celebrate for the 200th episode by leaving your voice in a voicemail. So you just go to mindfulmamapodcast.com. It's super easy. You just click the link and leave a voicemail. It is so easy. So please take a moment, do it. I've even put the link in the notes that you can access from the podcast listener on your phone. So no excuses. Just take a minute wherever you are. Let me know how this podcast has affected you. It would make a profound difference. And I want to let you know that Raising Good Humans is available for pre-sale. Yay! You can pre-order it now at RaisingGoodHumansBook.com. There's a couple places to do so. And when you do, you can get some awesome book bonuses, including chapter one in audio, this masterclass of speakers that has been incredibly popular that includes Dr. Laura Markham, that's available as a book bonus. And if you buy three more copies, you can get out a shout out on this podcast. So please go ahead and do so at RaisingGoodHumansBook.com. And now, join me at the table as I talk to Kristen Reese. Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Hunter. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you. You know, it's I'm so excited to talk to you. You wrote the book, Mindful Parenting, and it was so, and I teach a class, Mindful Parenting, so we're in this world together, and I love I love your book. I love the work that you're doing. And I was wondering if you would start us all off to tell us about this journey, starting us all off telling us what happened two months after your son, Charlie, was born. Sure. And in some respects, that feels so long ago. And at the same time, it feels just like yesterday. But I think to 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 make sense of the story, I should start maybe a couple minute, a couple months before Charlie was born, just to give you a little bit perspective of what was going on in my life. I had a toddler, an 18-month-old daughter. I was working full-time in a school as a director of counseling services. I was writing my dissertation and desperately trying to finish it before my son Charlie was born. And then for some reason, we also decided that this would be a great year to remodel our house. Oh my God. So there was a lot going on during that pregnancy. And I was very much in that mindset of, you know, I can do anything if I put my mind to it. I just need to put my head down and, uh, you know, and charge through. 
And after Charlie was born, I, he, I had a C-section with him and I just didn't, my body was not recovering from the C-section and I was fatigued and I had joint pain and I was exhausted beyond what it felt like should be for a new mom. And started going to doctors to try and figure out exactly what was going on. And we went through everything from it's postpartum depression to it's lupus, it's rheumatoid arthritis, it's fibromyalgia. It's, I went through endless um, doctor's appointments and tests and trying to figure out exactly what was going on. And this actually went on for about two years until I ultimately received a diagnosis of an autoimmune disease that my doctors felt pretty strongly was likely triggered by stress. And here I was, I was in the midst of my, you know, writing my dissertation uh, about the neurology of stress (laughs) and uh, completely was not taking care of myself in any way, shape or form. And it caught up to me and caught up to my health. And it was a real uh, eye opener for me that that I couldn't, it couldn't always be, you know, mind over matter that Mm -hmm. um, living in this constant state of, you know, fight or flight was going to have some profound effects. And I knew it intellectually, but I never thought that it would really get to me physically uh, until it really did. It's amazing how we can kind of fool ourselves that this can happen to all these other people, but I'll be fine (laughs) uh, with all of those things going on what um what did what did they tell you to do did they what 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 was your um what was your the remedy for your diagnosis well it was you know certainly there was there was medication involved but it also um you know triggered a lot of life changes um that ultimately led to the to the me founding mindful life but initially my thought was you know what we we're going to move out of this city we will move to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, which is where I live now. It's this small, little, blissful town. Uh, you know, I won't be working so much. And I thought I really could set up this ideal life from the outside and kind of put a bubble around myself and my family from all of these stressors. And But it didn't take long after making that move and setting up this new life and finding the right house and the right schools and getting the right job and, you know, feeling like I had all the right things in place to really start to recognize that you can't protect yourself from stressors from the outside. Uh, it, that resilience has to come from within. And so that really was the big aha moment for me. And I was doing some work in schools uh, at the time as a consultant, and I was seeing these really um, significant stress levels in kids and really young kids that had concerned me. And I'd seen the same thing in Denver as well. And so I started thinking about what what was building resilience for me. And for me, that was my mindfulness practice. That was my yoga practice. So I started experimenting with these practices with kids in schools, and that ultimately led to um, the the writing of the book, the founding of Mindful Life, my work in schools, and you know everything that has occurred since. I I call myself an entrepreneur by accident. I really mm-hmm. thought I was going to move to the mountains and <laughs> work a couple days a week and maybe have a private practice. And it all just kind of snowballed into this work of passion and um, 
around around what I what I was seeing in the world around me and what was working for me and for my family. That's so beautiful. I love the mission driven work because it just comes out of your life and seeing the the power of these these practices and these solutions to uh, to lower that stress. And stress is an incredible epidemic, even, you know, since the, you know, in the, in the six years since you wrote your book and, and, you know, it's, it's even gotten worse for kids. I mean, I'm sure you could tell me oh, yeah. more about that, about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was just seeing, it was definitely starting to rise um, when my kids were young and, and I noticed it most in these, you know, kindergarten age kids. And I would talk to their teachers and they would say, this is the most stressed group of kids we've had coming into kindergarten over the course, since I, I've seen over the course of my career. And these were, you know, veteran teachers that had been teaching for 20 years. And so I really wanted to figure out what's going on with these kids and the way we're raising these kids. And what I came to was that it wasn't as much the kids, but it was the parents. <laughs> and, mm. um, and that's where I kind of coined the term generation stress, which refers to a generation of stressed out parents raising a generation of stressed out kids. And we know that our stress is contagious, right? We have these mirror neurons in our brains that reflect the emotions we see witnessed around us. And as, as adults, as we've become more stressed and trying to cope in a much more hectic, busy, 24-7 world, even in our best efforts to hide that from our kids, it trickles down. And, you know, my work started working just with students and trying to give them skills to build resilience. And that was great. And that worked really well. And they soaked in these mindfulness practices almost as if they were learning a language at a young age. But what was really interesting was when I conducted our first study on our school's program, and one of the things we that came out of the work, in addition to kids seeing an increase in their attention and emotional regulation and, and problem solving, is the teachers noted a significant difference in their stress level as they practiced with the kids. And so that kind of reiterated for me this need to focus on the whole system. And so we shifted our school's program to focus as much on teacher wellness as it did on student wellness because teacher wellness had a profound impact on the classroom. And it also, you know, really triggered me to, to think about how we can support parents and help them build resilience. And so it, the, the evolution of the work was it started in schools, working with schools and teachers, and then I wrote the parenting book um, mm -hmm. as a way to kind of support that system. Yeah. And then that that just really snowballed into I went on a book tour and I started giving talks to all these parent communities. And after giving talks to parent communities, I would have people come up to me and say, hey, can you speak to my law firm? Can you come speak at, to my medical practice? And it just was so clear that there was this epidemic of kind of rising stress that people didn't know what to do with. And um, and that's how my work has really evolved over the last 10, 12 years of doing this. 
Yeah. I mean, we're, we're so interconnected. I love that you could just connect these dots and see all these pieces. Cause we think that, I mean, especially many, many parents, we think, Oh, if we can just fix our kids, then we'll feel better, you know, or if we think, um, you know, if we can get them to, to do some mindfulness in their schools and give them some of these practices, then it'll all be fine. But it really always does point back to us in that, you know, we have to live what we want our kids to learn. And that, and that modeling is, is so, so powerful. And what you said is our stress is contagious. And I think that we try to fool ourselves and say that it's not, that it's not affecting our kids, that, you know, I can be a mess and, and it's going to be fine. But, but um, you're hearing it here from Kristen, yeah. that, that it's not true. So tell us, can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening in the stressed brain and then how does mindfulness and meditation specifically um, work on the brain? I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. This episode is sponsored by Candlewick Press, publisher of You Are Light, the latest title from children's book author and illustrator Aaron Becker. You open this book to find a graphic yellow sun surrounded by a halo of bright die-cut transparent circles. And then you hold the pages up to the light and enjoy the transformation as the colors in those circles glow. Aaron Becker follows as light reflects off the earth to warm our faces, draws up the sea to make rain, feeds all things that grow, and helps to create all the brilliant wonders of the world, including ourselves. 
You Are Light is about finding the light within each and every one of us. For kids, it gently introduces the concepts of colors, mindfulness, the environment, ecology, and the interconnectedness of our own lives with nature. For adults, You Are Light makes a perfect holiday gift that serves as a luminous remedy for any seasonal winter blues. You Are Light by Erin Becker, available everywhere books are sold, and I highly, highly recommend it. It is a gorgeous book that I cannot wait to put in little hands this season. Sure. So essentially, we take in information through our senses and... And it goes to the thalamus part of our brain. And if that part of our brain perceives that information as unfamiliar or as threatening in some way, it sends a signal to the amygdala. And this is the part of our brain that activates that fight, flight, or freeze response. It's, you know, responsible for our survival mechanisms. It makes our heart pound quickly. Our breathing becomes quick and shallow. Our muscles tighten and our senses sharpen. And it was designed as a way to protect us. And when it works properly, it helps us to stay focused, to stay energetic, and to stay alert. And that same message also eventually gets to the prefrontal cortex. And this is the part of our brain. It's a really important part of our brain responsible for things like attention, impulse control, problem solving, forward thinking. It's the rational part of our brain. It allows us to think clearly. It allows us to learn and work effectively and efficiently. Now, the issue is that that alarm part of our brain, that amygdala, reacts faster and at times can be stronger than the smart part of our brain. So essentially, when that alarm is triggered, the smart part of our brain shuts down. That part of our brain responsible for engaging effectively with the people around us, for paying attention, for solving the problems, that shuts down and we rely totally on the survival mechanisms. And while we don't have the same threats to our survival that we did hundreds of years ago, we don't, we're not being, or thousands of years ago, we're not being chased by saber-toothed tigers or, um, you know, being just having those kinds of threats, our brain still um, is on high alert for things that it thinks threaten our survival. And these are all kinds of things. It could be, you know, being late for school can trigger that response. Uh, Being late for a meeting, running into traffic, um, seeing a text come in on your smartphone from a coworker, seeing a problem at work. Uh, your coffee spilling, your kids not wanting to go to school in the morning or not wanting to put their shoes on or dragging their feet as they're going out the door. All of these things trigger these mini stress responses in our brain and stimulate that alarm part of our brain. So as a result, we tend to react more impulsively. We have a harder time solving problems. We don't communicate as effectively. The good thing, the good news is that through mindfulness practices, we can um, strengthen our prefrontal cortex, that smart part of our brain. And we do this in the same way we, um, we, we make changes in our body. So in the same way that you might use bicep curls to strengthen muscles in your upper arms, you can use simple mindfulness practices to strengthen those neural pathways in our prefrontal cortex. 
And when we can, we can stimulate that part of our brain and keep that part of our brain more active, we not only build resilience to that stress response, but we're more engaged in the present moment, more engaged with our kids and the people around us. We tend to let those little stressors bounce off of us rather than letting them kind of fully um, impact our nervous systems. And that our sense of peace and calm and ease trickles down to our kids as well. So um, there's a lot kind of that goes into it, but that's kind of the, I would say the, the two minute science lesson on what's going on neurologically. So some people say, may look at that and say, okay, so I have all this incredibly, I have this incredibly busy life. I am, you know, working a job while I'm, I'm pregnant and remodeling my house. (laughs) So, um, they, and it feels like mindfulness meditation can feel like another thing to do. And especially because in the beginning, it's so challenging to start. It's challenging to get started and to kind of get in a groove with um, with a meditation practice. So so what do you say to, to people who are in that position of just they're in the thick of so much to do already that it just feels, it feels overwhelming, feels like another thing to do? Yeah. And I think that's why I, I'm so passionate about working with, with busy moms um, because I am all about integrating mindfulness into what you already do. Um, so we are so busy and so overwhelmed, but we can, when we can integrate mindfulness into the context of our day, then it actually creates more space in our day because mentally we don't get so caught up in all of the negative opportunities that the day offers. So things like, you know, worry is a huge thing that can be consuming, Um, getting caught up in negative thoughts about or worries about our kids, about our future, regrets about the past. And as we start to practice mindfulness, we become more aware as the, of these stress responses as they're occurring. And we can kind of, we can engage in simple things that are going to cut them off, that are going to bring our prefrontal cortex back online. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of things you can do throughout the day that don't take much time, but really create space in your day so that you proceed through your day much more effectively, efficiently, um, without being in that heightened state of stress and anxiety. Yeah, I found exactly the same thing that it feels like there's something else to do, but it's, it's sort of a weird practice that kind of gives you more time <laughs> in a strange way. Because yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Like for, for myself after, you know, like being meditating regularly for 14 years, it's, I, you know, I, when I'm, when I'm, I'm mostly when I'm doing my, when I'm working, I'm working, when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids, you know, and when I'm, mm-hmm for a a large part. And I think it it makes me so much more efficient in all of the things that I do just to be more present. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny, I was recently reading an article and it was talking about how we, we actually, this, I'll tell you what the article said, and then I'll tell you what I think. It said, we actually aren't busier than we were 20 years ago. It's just that our brain has no downtime. So we feel this constant state of busyness and, and meaning we, every second of downtime we have is spent 
is spent, you know, checking our phones or checking our emails or doing something to, you know, to engage, um, to engage or distract ourselves versus just letting ourselves have a moment to look around. So I, so, so I, that, that downtime, that like waiting in line time, that pause, that those were these sort of natural pauses that we used to have yes. in our life when our phones were attached to the walls. Absolutely. When our phones were attached to the walls and our computers were attached to the desk at our office. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then I think what also is interesting about that is the time that we are working, we're so much more distracted that we don't get as much done at work because we're constantly multitasking. We're, you know, bouncing back and forth between emails and projects and conversations, which is very in a, an inefficient way to work. Um, so because of that, we end up having more to do after we get home uh, because we've been so efficient and distracted during our days. So I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting because in the six years since you wrote the book, you know, the, the problems with media um, have only gotten worse and, and the changes since then. Do you see any sort of new solutions? I mean, because you talk a lot about simplifying as well in the book, because you talk about, you know, very much about that inner response. Like we have to, that resilience has to come from the inside and, and that's a big piece of it. But there's a lot of the outside pieces that um, contribute and add to those stressors and, and media kind of being one of them. What, what are some of the ways that you see in today's world that we can, we can reduce that distraction level? Yeah, and it's definitely, I think, a combination, right, of what we're doing internally and then also setting up our external lives to support what we want to do internally. And so for me, it's creating a lot of what I call little airplane modes. And airplane mode is simply, um, it can be used at work or at home. And I'll tell you how I use it at work first is um, I basically, I put my phone in airplane mode. My computer is set so I have no pop-up notifications, so I don't get those little bubbles when emails or things come through. And that time is spent working on my number one priority. So it's a chunk of time. Um, for me, it could be 90 minutes. For some people, it's 30 minutes. But it's a time just to get that number one priority d- accomplished. And it's amazing how efficient and productive you can be when you don't have those pop-ups coming from your phone, from your computer. Um, You know, I even let my team know it's on my calendar when I'm in airplane mode so they know, if at all possible, not to distract me. Now, airplane mode is also really important at home. So when I talk to working moms, I talk about when you get home from work, can you can that first 30 minutes be in airplane mode? Essentially, mm-hmm. can you put your phone somewhere and can you take 30 minutes of time to really engage wholeheartedly with your family without those distractions? And that airplane mode may be during dinner time. You know, can you take that hour during dinner where everybody's phones and all of those things are put away? But it's just carving out. I'm not saying, you know, that we don't ever use our phones and technology is not going away. But can we carve out some little windows just to give our brains a break from those constant distractions? Yeah. yeah. So for us, it's as a family. I have teens now, so everybody has Hmm. phones. So it's a time for everybody to put their phones away 
to go take a walk with the dog or to have a family dinner if we can manage that. Um, but just to have some time without that kind of distraction is really important for the ways our brains function best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that idea of the first 30 minutes when you get home because your children want to connect with you. You want to connect Absolutely. with your house. You want to be present. You want to reset. Um, I, th- I think that's a, a really beautiful idea. And it really is about kind of creating these healthy boundaries around this technology, which we're really starting to see has all these problems and things uh, associated with them. So now you you started to discover this this impact of this stress on yourself um, and of course, in, in others, when your kids were really little, yes. um, and you started to, of course, explore it in your book, and, and you also write in the book about this, and I, I would love for you to just talk a little bit about this piece um, as well, you know, maybe, a, and also about how the family, you know, has evolved for you personally, but, but I would love for you to talk a little bit, Kristen, about the piece of the myth of, but I turned out okay. So we hear that a lot, right? Like I was like, whatever, but I turned out okay. Why is that a myth? Uh, You know, I think it's, um, that's a really interesting question. And it's one I really, I haven't thought about in a while. Like, can you give me a little bit, give me a little bit more of the context with which you're, you're thinking well, about that Well, I was thinking question. about like when we think, well, let's bring it back to media, right? Like the myth, like when I was a kid, I got home from school and I know I turned on the TV and I watched like right, right. Three's yes. Company and some lame, yeah, yes. <laughs> some lame shows. And, um, and I, I actually, you know, I probably had like a lot of screen time as a kid because my both right. my parents worked. And so I, I was out in the neighborhood too but I had a lot of screen time and someone might look at that and say, but I turned out okay. What's wrong with, you know, giving sure. the, giving the 18 month old their own screen and, and having plenty of screen time in this day and age. In yes. This context. Thank you. So thank you for yeah. that. That triggered it all for me. Um, so a big, yeah, you're right. I came home, same thing. Three's company was one of my favorites, <laughs> but I, I think there's a few things that are very different. One is that it's, that you came home and you were in your living room and you were turning on the TV. Now think about all of the, the, you know, sadly the moms you see walking strollers through the park and their kids have the 18 month old has a cell phone in their hand. So it's that constant accessibility, which is significantly changing the amount of time that kids are on screens. I think one of the the studies I reference in my book, and I'm sure it's increased since then, is that kids get seven hours and I think 53 minutes of screen time a day. So as much as we thought that we had screen time, it was nothing close to that. And a lot of that is what occurs in schools, right? Where they're using iPads and computers, but also a significant amount of time after school. And then when you add on the time that they're using multiple screens, so maybe they're on their phone and their iPad at the same time, um, it averages like 10 plus hours a day. So there's a, there's this, the pure volume of your brain constantly being in a reactive mode, um, responding to what is coming in through your senses versus a more creative mode, which is what we get out of free play. 
So when you think about when you were young and you went outside and you found a couple friends and you said, hey, let's do this or let's play this game or, you know, that's a we're generating that ourselves. Um, our brain is being allowed to explore and create and really develop that prefrontal cortex, that incredibly important part of our brain that mm -hmm. we need to learn effectively to communicate effectively. And when we're just reacting to external stimulation coming in, and that both comes in terms of stimulation of our, our media and our screens, um, in many ways, it's also in terms of we have our kids in so many structured activities where all of the, the rules and the directions come from the adults. They don't, kids aren't generating those rules um, like mm -hmm. they do in free play. So the combination of all of those things kids get an hour less free time than they did when we were growing up. Um, so those, all of those things change the way our brains develop and these kids' brains are developing. So they're growing up in a time where those alarm centers, centers of their brain are being stimulated far more frequently than when we grew up. And that's why we're seeing this huge increase in anxiety uh, rates for kids, in depression for kids. And so the, the good news is that we just, it doesn't mean that we need to get rid of everything that we're doing, but we need to be more intentional about how their prefrontal cortex is developing and how we can, you know, integrate programs into our schools and into our parenting that's going to allow that to occur, um, to create a bit more balance for them, given the environment that they're growing up in. And it's so tough today, too, because, you know, you, you were talking about working parents, right? Like, the, it's, it's hard because, I mean, the, the structures and society and things like that, but you, it, it, what do you do with kids? They, they kind of have to be mm -hmm. in a structured activity if you're, you know, you, you don't have uh, the, the ability to, um, to, to be home with your kids, have your partner be home with your kids or, or whatnot. And, yeah. but, it, you know, it, it, but part of this is, kind of what I'm hearing you say is that we need to be a lot more intentional about giving, not only giving, um, giving them some free space and some time that is, that is not structured, that is, that is time for free play, all of those things. And, but also giving ourselves some unstructured time, some time, some, some, you know, back yeah. in a hundred, <laughs> some, some non-technology time too. And all of this really goes back to that, that internal work of the mindfulness of, you know, noticing what it feels like maybe to then even want the distraction, to crave the distraction and to, to practice being the change that we want to see practice to, to, to engage in some of the other activities we did maybe before, we had these um, distraction portals in our pockets. Right. And I think there's such a cultural push on parents too. It's like, oh my gosh, if I don't have my child in a structured after school activity every day of the week, starting in first grade, then they're not going to get into college <laughs> or, you know, we it's feel or, or they're going to fall behind and they won't be able to play soccer next year or, you know, all of those um, kind of fears that are placed on us as parents. And yeah, I talk to parents about having, you know, until kids are 10 years old, they need a day or two after school of downtime. And whether that's in a, you know, maybe that's in an after school program that allows for that unstructured play. Um, you know, if you can't, if you're not 
if you're not home when they get home after school, or maybe it's having somebody having a caregiver there that takes them to the park or kind of facilitates that unstructured play, or maybe it's trading with another parent in your neighborhood who has kind of similar beliefs that you can kind of take kids back and forth that way. Um, But the reality is the time that we want them really busy and active after school is around 12, 13, approaching those middle school, high school years. That's when we want them engaged and busy and passionate about their sport or their dance or their, you know, whatever that their instrument, whatever that passion might be. And one of the things we're seeing with kids is we, we have, we're cramming so much on them in terms of their scheduling and their training early that they're totally burnt out at 14 or 15 and they want to quit. And so that's the time we want them busier and more active. So they need that downtime. You're right in the same way that we do. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell?, laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. That makes sense. I I think back to my own... um, unstructured 14 year old years. And I probably could have used a little more structure. I think right. <laughs> I could have used right. a little right. more structure. So you talk about, yeah. And that, that really goes into what you're, you talk about in your book, the lost art of, of hanging out. And it's interesting because we talk about this here on the mindful mama podcast and, and, you know, dear listener, if you've been listening a while, you know that we, we talk about this, but I think it, it sometimes it's really kind of in a lot of ways, kind of us, up to us to start to push back and if we and if we can't create that time like to maybe start to hold it as a north star and say mm-hmm. you know when i have a choice point if i can choose towards for my younger kids some more unstructured time um then then that's what i'm going to do you know just to kind of hold that as like kind of a guiding a guiding um principle so you also talked though about um it cultivating good stress Tell me a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, I think um, there's somewhat, you know, there's the the idea that we need some stress to um, to motivate us and that we perform well under stress. And, and that is true. We do need a little bit to kind of get us going. And I think what's happened is, um, is now is sometimes we protect our kids. We, um, we protect them so much from any kind of failure or, um, any kind of discomfort, uh, that they don't have the opportunity to experience things that are difficult and know that, you know, they can fail, they can make a mistake, and they will be okay. They will recover. It's not the end of the world. And so what's happening as these kids grow up, it's, you know, kind of that mentality of every kid needs to get a ribbon. Um, So we give every kid a ribbon, and they never learn what it's like not to get a ribbon or not to earn that ribbon. Mm -hmm. Um, And So then when they do experience a failure, you know, in high school or in college or even older, it feels catastrophic because they haven't built any of those tools of resilience. And so I talk a lot to parents about, you know, the value of, of failure and letting your, encouraging your kids to take risks and asking them simple questions like, uh, what mistake did you learn from today? Super simple question, but really reframes the idea that mistakes are to be learned from. They're not to be avoided at all costs um, for risks of feeling like a failure. Um, We do in our family, we have these family adventures that we do every, um, it used to be every season. And now as my kids have gotten older or busier, it's usually we do one in the summer and one in the winter, but it's this, this, um, push. It's really pushing ourselves outside our comfort zone and trying something new. So when the kids were younger, it would be a hike that we would do. Or for me, it was going to an amusement park with them. Um, as a family, we decided I lost the vote on that one. That's why we ended up <laughs> at the amusement park. Um, but it's a lot of it is re- it's a bike ride. It's a, an event that we participate in, like a 10K or something like that. And so it's kind of looking at those opportunities to really push ourselves and to um, to feel that good stress uh, because there there are good kinds of stress as well. And we almost have gone to the extreme of protecting our kids in so many ways from the bad teacher, from you know the difficult kid in their classroom, from uh, getting cut from the soccer team, from coming in fifth place or whatever it might be. Those are all experiences that kids can learn from and, and are really gonna help them build resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a great video on YouTube called, If You Haven't Failed, You Haven't Lived. Mm. And it's just a two minute video and it talks about different people, you know, from Michael Jordan to Lucille Ball to Walt Disney to Abraham Lincoln. And it talks about the failures that they experienced. And if they hadn't persisted, then they would not be, you know, the amazing people that they ended up to be. So it's a great one to show your kids as well um, and have a little discussion about. Oh, that's great. I'm going to use that uh, as our pre-movie night uh, short <laughs> next, uh, next, next, family, next family movie night. So all this learning that you've done and you've been sharing, like this has obviously shaped your own family. Um, 
I mean, I guess it, it may be hard to tease out because you, you know, you've only had the one experience with, with your, you know, you only have the one life, right? So you don't have an opposite one to sort of compare to. But I'm just curious about as far as your own life, all this learning about the brain, um, stress in the brain, um, and mindfulness, and you know, simplifying, cultivating good stress, all of these things. What are some of the ways it's shaped your family? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I think there's there's a few answers. I think some of the rituals that we started when our kids were young um, around gratitude have profoundly shaped my family and my kids. Um, starting when they were little, we would have a gratitude jar on the table and we would write down things we were grateful for and stick them in the jar. And um, once, you know, about once a week, we would pull out what people had written and share. We started a ritual of whenever it was somebody's birthday, we go around and we would talk about what we appreciate about that person. And mm -hmm. I think that has given my kids um, really the uh, the ability to recognize and appreciate things in their life in a way that I see is is different than some of the other kids, some kids that I work with or schools that I work in, mm -hmm. where that can be really difficult for kids just because they've never practiced it. So I think that's that has been a profound impact. It, it's interesting with the mindfulness stuff. I think when your mom is a quote unquote <laughs> mindfulness expert, I hate the term expert, but you don't, <laughs> you don't necessarily want to learn the practice of mindfulness from your parent. Um, oh, I so hear you on this, Kristen. Home, I bet you do. <laughs> the beauty of that was that um, the schools that my kids went to were trained in my mindfulness program. Nice. So they were able to receive those skills uh, through just um, by going to school. It was something that they practiced every day in different classrooms. And so they were able to receive a lot of the, the you know, mindful listening and mindful breathing and all of those compassion practices at school. Mm -hmm. And I see them using them. My my son was a ski jumper for a long time. And so he would definitely be using breathing practices before his ski jumps. They definitely bring it into um, their soccer games and their approach to different competitions and to tests. So I see them kind of naturally using those in a way that luckily I didn't have to teach. <laughs> and I think we all really value um, time without technology. They, I think, have a pretty good, they, you know, they both, they're teens, they have cell phones, they have Instagram accounts, they have all those things, but they do a pretty good job of knowing when is an appropriate and not appropriate time to be on their phones and when they need to be engaged in person with people around them um, versus having that phone as a constant default. Um, so I think there's definitely been some benefits to, uh, them growing up the way that they did. Uh, some came directly from me and some came very indirectly from me. Uh, and we'll see, you know, there's still a lot of growing up to do. So, so yeah, we'll yeah. see how it goes, but it's definitely been huge in, in supporting us. We'll have to get together in like 20 years and take no share notes, Kristen, about what happened with our kids right. with mindfulness. Right. I, I would <laughs> say my one piece of advice to you, Hunter, is that so have somebody else teach them the mindfulness. I know, I know. I've I've kind of been like, so do you want me to teach you meditation? And they're like, no, no, no. 
Oh yeah. Sorry, I just back off. <laughs> so I just stick to the modeling piece. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I very much stick to the modeling piece of how I use technology, how I practice mindfulness, what my morning meditation looks like. Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes they'll wake up and they'll come sit next to me. Uh, not so much anymore because they like to sleep late. But um, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think the modeling piece is big. I've noticed my my 12-year-old, we had some friends over the other night. We had a campfire and roasted some s'mores. And my 12-year-old was saying that two of her friends, they were, they were all sitting on the hammock and two of their friends had their phones out and how annoying it was. I was like, yes, okay, she thinks that's <laughs> annoying. But then I thought, maybe I can do something about that. I should, when we have a, a gathering, I should have a phone box or something. Like just encourage all of right. us to like put our phones in and disconnect and encourage the kids to do that. Yeah. You know, so she can connect with her friends. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times there's been a gathering and I'll look outside and there'll be four of them sitting on a, on a deck and a beautiful view and of the mountains and all four of them have their heads down on their phones. And um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it takes some, some prodding. I think because that's their natural reaction is just to go there. And so um, just trying to create some awareness around that and some different habits can be really helpful. Yeah. So do you feel seeing, seeing that and, and doing the, doing the work that you're doing and, and have been doing for a while and kind of seeing the, the way things, I mean, this is sort of, I don't, I'm sure you can't answer this, but are you feeling hopeful about the future? Or do you feel discouraged sometimes seeing the the people walking uh, with their heads down constantly? You know, I, I am feeling very hopeful. And part of it is just kind of the way my career evolved. When I started in this work, it was, I felt like it was me and maybe five other people that were looking at how we teach kids mindfulness. And the the mindfulness movement has grown exponentially. Mm -hmm. And I think that's in response to the need and people are recognizing the way they feel. They're recognizing, you know, what their kids are doing and how their kids are growing up and they want to do something about it. And so I think the balance is not to come in and say, well, the only way to fix this is to meditate for 25 minutes <laughs> twice a day and go on a week long silent retreat because that's not realistic for people. So it's really about what, what can you, how can you make small changes that will make a big difference, both for you and for your kids? For me, uh, you know, I'm a busy working mom. My meditation practice, the way it looks is I come downstairs. I know I'm not going to forget about my coffee ever because <laughs> I love coffee. So I set my coffee to brew and I pay attention to my breathing for three to five minutes. Mm. And when I hear that beat that the coffee's done, that's my signal. Uh, so that's how I start my day. Um, I look for ways to integrate it into my commute. I look for ways to integrate mindfulness into my exercise routine. When I'm in the shower, um, you know, my beauty routine, which is not is pretty minimal, realistically, but even mm -hmm. just like the way I put lotion on my face, Mm -hmm. um, how to integrate it into a meal, how to have mindful conversations with your kids that um, have take, you know, kind of get them to think differently, asking them questions like, um, you know, what mistake did you learn from today? Another question I asked my kids was, who was a good friend to you today? Um, so just trying to get them to think about things a little bit differently to stimulate different parts of their brain in simple ways. 
You know, our kids get in the car every day after school or they walk in the door and it's easy to say, do you have homework or, (laughs) um, but how can we just kind of tweak the things we're already doing in little ways that, that will make a difference for our families. Mm, I think that's a beautiful place to, to wrap up this wonderful conversation. Kristen, I just want to, I want to thank you for doing the work that you're doing for, you know, your work with the book, with, with the, you know, with mindful living, with teaching, teaching the schools and the moms and all of these places and really um, making a huge dent in this movement. It's been, it's been awesome to witness that. And I I really want to thank you for that work. and, And of course, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Hunter, and thanks for the work you're doing, too, to get all of this information out there. It's awesome. So thanks for everything that you're doing as well. I love what Kristen says to us about, you know, that whole idea of the ideal from the outside in doesn't work, you know? So... We can stop that achievement race a little and, and and really cultivate that resilience from within. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. If you have enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and tell me about it. Give, leave me a voicemail at mindfulmamapodcast.com. There's a link there right in your podcast player to leave a voicemail. Tell me your takeaways from the podcast so that I can help celebrate on the 200th episode. It would mean so much to me if you would. Um, And there's not much time now. You got to do it right away before the time runs out, okay? And I want to let you know that Raising Good Humans is available for pre-sale. So have you pre-ordered your book yet? If you haven't, please go to RaisingGoodHumansBook.com and order your copy of Raising Good Humans. You're going to get some awesome book bonuses, and it's just such a super way to support the podcast and get all of this awesome information all in one place. And it is a great, great gift for new parents. If you have any of those in your life, it's a great gift for them. So please go ahead and do so. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Without you, this wouldn't be possible. I appreciate your presence. I appreciate your ears. I appreciate all the wonderful messages that I get from you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, It really fills my heart. So I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you a peaceful week with some less stress, more peace, more resilience. We can do it. We can take those little bitty steps together. Absolutely. All right. Sending all my love to you, my friend. Namaste. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.